right, so we're, we're in this short little letter called Philemon. It's, it's really a, it's the shortest letter Paul wrote in the, in the New Testament that we have in our Bibles. Um, it's one of the shortest in the whole New Testament, but 2nd and 3rd John are a bit shorter, I believe. So Philemon is um, often overlooked, right? It's, it's because it's short and it seems very specific and personal in nature. Uh, a lot of times we can buzz through it. We can read it and just kind of shrug and go, okay, great. Um, but it's in our Bibles and, and it's in our Bibles for a reason. God has ordained that the, that the words in this little book, in this little letter, are for us as well. And so we need to hear this and we need to respond to it. And, um, and really what we're trying to do through this series is a number of angles that we can take with this letter. There's a lot of things in it um, that we can touch on and talk about. But we're looking at it mainly through the lens of how, how do we become the welcoming Christians and by extension, the welcoming church that we want to be. Because I think that's really fundamentally what we're getting to in this letter. Paul, if uh, we talked about this last week, um, but Paul is writing this letter to a guy named Philemon because there was a relationship breakdown between him and a guy named Onesimus, who we're going to meet today a little bit, um, or at least hear about. Um, and Paul is wanting to reestablish this relationship, bring about a restored relationship. And, and so what he's going to call Philemon to is what we're all called to, which is be a welcoming person, even to people that we don't necessarily like or want to be welcoming towards. And, and so that's kind of the overview. Now we're going to look at the specifics here. We're starting to get into the real heart of the letter today. Uh, the first seven verses we explored last week. And um, what, what we saw there was really the foundation for everything else that Paul's going to say. Paul just sort of establishes some important foundational work. And, and here's what he said. In, just to summarize last Sunday, in case you weren't here or need a refresher. Um, the first seven verses lay out this truth, that in order for us to become a welcoming Christian and by extension, a welcoming church, right? Because a church is not a building, it's people. So to become a welcoming Christian, our hearts have to be gripped by the character of Christ. That who Christ is and what he's done for us flows out of us into the lives of others. That really is the foundation. Uh, we, we can gloss over it, we can ignore it, but without that, Everything else Paul's going to say isn't going to have any weight. It's not going to carry any real difference in, into Philemon's life. He has to establish Philemon's character, not in and of himself, but because of the gospel, right? And so he's affirming in Philemon's life that the gospel has taken root, and that's flowing out through his character, right? He talks about him as... Um, a man who loves Jesus and loves people and wants to help others love Jesus. He talks about how that has led into his character of being a joyful, comforting, and refreshing person. That as Philemon interacts with others, these are the things that people feel 
uh, as they interact with him because of Jesus. And so that's all the foundation. That's where it ha- we have to be people gripped by the gospel and transformed by Christ if we're going to be welcoming. That's, that's the foundation of it. And we know it's the foundation because as we get into verse 8, and we'll have the words up on the screen here, but as you look at verse 8, the first word Paul uses in, this, uh, in the ESV is accordingly. Um, so this is the word that's bridging what he's just said to what he's about to say. Accordingly. In, in other words, what Paul is saying, and I, there's other translations out there that express it a little differently and uh, probably a little clearer to see the connection. Um, but essentially what Paul is saying is that because of everything that Philemon is as a man who loves Jesus, the case that Paul needs to make to him can be made, right? So accordingly, because of the guy you are, Philemon, this is, everything I'm about to say is going to come out of that. So let's look at it. It says, accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now and a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. This is interesting. Paul says, he starts out by saying, I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what you have to do. He can, he can do that. Paul is an apostle, right? And so an apostle, there are no apostles today in the same sense that Paul and the other 12 uh, were apostles. So th- that, was a, that was a first generation Christian thing that we now stand on their foundation, which is preserved for us in the word, right? So we submit to the apostles' teaching as Christians in the 21st century because we have them written out for us in the scriptures. We, we submit to what the prophets and the apostles said in the Old and New Testaments because Jesus is bestowing on them or bestowed on them at that time the authority to speak on his behalf. And so now the only authority that we have to speak into lives is what the Bible says. We don't get to go beyond that because the apostles and the prophets wrote the Bible and we submit to the scriptures as they're teaching. So Paul has this authority as an apostle that was given to him by Christ. And when you read Paul's letters, he clearly understands that he has this authority, right? He, he commands us to do lots of things. He commands all kinds of things throughout the letters that he writes to the Corinthians and the, and the Ephesian church and the Colossian church and all those, right? You just read those letters and Paul's clearly saying, this is what you guys need to do. And he's calling them to do it and he's giving, he's giving that command through the, through the authority that Jesus has given him. But it's amazing, it's really fascinating. I, I mentioned this briefly last Sunday that Paul, at the very start of this letter, Unlike almost every other letter he writes, he doesn't call himself an apostle. He doesn't define himself that way in this letter. He says in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. That's normally, if you read Paul's letters, normally he'll say Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Because he's setting up his authority to speak to the church. But in Philemon, he doesn't even 
He doesn't even do that. He doesn't even uh, call out his apostolic authority at all, except right here where he says, I could command you to do what's required. But look at what it says. He goes on to say, but, verse 9, yet rather, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Paul starts the letter by saying, I could command you to do this, Philemon, but what he'd rather do is appeal to Philemon's heart on the issue. Because he's already established that Philemon is a guy who doesn't need the heavy-handed leadership of an apostle to tell him what to do. He's already a humble, loving, gracious guy. He's got that foundation of being gripped by the gospel and the character of Christ flowing through that. So Paul's going, I don't have to command you to do this. I can appeal to you to do this. Which, let's be, let's be real here. As we mature in Christ, this is where we should be. Right? This is where we should get. We shouldn't have to be like strong-armed into loving and obeying Jesus as we grow in Christ. There's, there may be seasons in our lives where we're more rebellious than others. And so there, there may be that need for, for some tough love at times. But as we grow, we should need tough love less and less. We should actually just be able to be appealed to and have the people around us that are calling us to, to grow and change and have them not say, you have to do this because the Bible tells you to, but rather to say, hey, you get to do this because the Bible calls you to it because Jesus wants you to do it. So, so that's what that's what Paul's saying here. He's going, I could tell you what to do, but I'd rather just let you do what you should naturally want to do in this. So what is the issue, though? I know I gave you an overview of it last week, but we'll, we'll start to see it today. So let's read verse 10 uh, through 12 here. Paul says, I appeal to you, here's the issue, for or on behalf of my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Now, as Paul says he's sending Onesimus back to Philemon, he literally means like Onesimus is handing Philemon the letter. Okay, like he's there. He's in front of him as he's reading this thing. Probably not the most welcomed sight for, for Philemon to see him. And we know that because there was a, there was a clear break in this. And we're going to see, see a little bit of this as we walk through this. And then next week as we finish up the letter, we're going to get kind of some context here. But essentially Philemon had um, Onesimus as one of his, <coughs> excuse me, one of his bond servants. Meaning Philemon was required by law, the law of the Roman Empire, to work in servitude, some form of slavery, because it, was, it wasn't optional, right? But it wasn't slavery like we think of slavery. It was, it was meant to pay off a debt. It wasn't just, well, you're a slave for the rest of your life and your children are going to be enslaved because 
you know, that's how American slavery worked, and it was obviously racially motivated in, in our context. So it's not like that in the Roman world, but it still wasn't a great situation for, for Onesimus to be in. Right? He owed Philemon money, couldn't pay, and so he had to go to work and work for him and do whatever he was told. And at some point, Onesimus was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not playing this game. And so he, uh, this is going to be referenced a little bit next week, but he evidently steals some money or something from Philemon to pay for his getaway. And then he runs, he runs away. And, and as he runs, he eventually runs into Paul, who's in prison. How that happened, we don't know. It's probably an, a fascinating story. I look forward to hearing it someday when we meet Paul in heaven and go, how did that work out, man? I love to hear it. Um, but that's, we don't know all the details, but at some point Paul meets Phi, uh, Onesimus. And he's saying he became a child and they became like a father and a son because what's happening here is Philemon, or Paul rather, leads Onesimus to Jesus. I'm going to get these names all twisted up in my head. Just, just, just be prepared. Um, but he leads Onesimus to Jesus and, and in that way becomes a father to him, a father in the faith. And Onesimus was his child in the faith. And there was this amazing dynamic but here's the, here's the issue, right? Paul doesn't want Onesimus and Philemon to be in discord. They're brothers in Christ now. He doesn't want to see this, this relationship be fractured. So he sends Onesimus back home with this letter. And the ask that Paul is making here is for Philemon to accept Onesimus back, back into not just his home, but more foundationally into the church, into his fellowship. So that's, that's what's happening here. But notice what Paul says, particularly in verse 11. In verse 11, Paul is, this is a parenthesis. Right? Paul, this isn't even like the main part of his point, but he, he makes this offhand comment in parentheses and says, formerly he, referring to Onesimus, was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and to me. So what's Paul saying? He's essentially vouching for Onesimus's changed life, his changed character. But we have to catch something here that's really interesting. Um, the name Onesimus, that name means useful. Okay, that's what, it, that's what his name means. And so what Paul's doing here is he's having a little bit of a play on words. He's, he's playing on the name Onesimus and he's saying, you know, at one time this guy who, whose name means useful was useless to you, but now he's become useful to you and to me. In other words, Paul's saying this guy is now living up to his name even though he once at one time didn't live up to his name. Because he's, he's, he's affirming and, a, and a basically vouching to Philemon for Onesimus's changed life. That the gospel, just as it took root in Philemon's life, is taking root and has begun to work itself out in Onesimus's life also. That's important. And, and so just imagine, I mean, just picture this scene. Like 
Onesimus comes to Philemon's house, and who knows whether he came on a Sunday morning, like because the house the house is the place where the church meets. Uh, Philemon hosts the the church in Colossae. And if I was Onesimus, I'd show up on Sunday when there were witnesses, right? You you don't want to you don't want to show up when it's just you and the guy who hates your guts, right? Um, so he probably showed up on a Sunday or a, ga- a worship gathering, hands the letter to Philemon. Just imagine, like, how awkward this must have been. Here's the guy who stole from him and ran away. He's back now on his doorstep. He's got a letter from Paul. And now there's probably a bunch of people around, like, waiting to see what Philemon does. Like, what's going to happen here? It's just a, it's, it's got to be an awkward situation. But as Philemon reads this letter, Paul's making the appeal. He's, he's asking him to do something for him. So let's keep reading um, verse 13 through 14. Here's what it says. I would have, Paul says, I would have been glad to keep Onesimus with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Paul is saying something super important here. Like, we, it might be easy to miss. He's saying, like, let's just unpack what he's saying. Right? Paul's saying, I, you know, I would have been really happy to have Onesimus stick around with me because he's actually really helpful to me. Paul's under house arrest. Right? He's, not, he's been imprisoned for the gospel. He's probably not sitting in a you know, dark and wet and dank like, cell. He's, he's a man of, who has some means and he's able to kind of care uh, for himself. And the church had probably supported him in getting him a house that he could live out his sentence in comfort. But Onesimus is there to help him out and he's loving that. But he says, I would have liked to keep him here, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent. He wants Philemon to be on board with this. And, but this is why. Look at, look at why. At the end of verse 14, he says, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but, by, but of your own accord. So let's not miss what Paul's saying. He's saying something really important. He's appealing to Philemon's goodness. That your goodness might not be by compulsion. And by doing that, he's saying in effect to, to Philemon that forgiveness and acceptance of this guy who has wronged him is not something that Onesimus has to earn. Forgiveness is not something that has to be earned. It is something that is freely offered by the offended person and given freely. Paul is appealing to Philemon's goodness in this. Why? Because goodness, the heart that, a heart that is good, the heart that has been changed by Jesus, a heart that's, that's flowing out of goodness is a heart that is forgiving. Because forgiveness flows out of the goodness of God. 
just flip back. I don't have these up on the screen, but flip back one page to Titus chapter three. Titus is a different letter Paul wrote to a guy, you guessed it, named Titus. And, um, and here, in, at, towards the end of this letter, Paul says this in verse four, chapter three, verse four, catch this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we may become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So what is the motivation for God to forgive us through Jesus? It's his goodness and loving kindness. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. He saved us because he's good. He saved us because goodness flows from his character. Goodness is the definition of God's character. He through his goodness, saved us. But he didn't save us because we earned it, right? That's what he goes on immediately to say in verse uh, 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. You weren't forgiven by Jesus because you were good. You were forgiven by Jesus because he's good. So it's through, through this goodness of God that he forgives us, not by our own righteousness, but according to his own mercy, he washed us, he cleansed us, he renews us. That is very fundamental to the, to the message of the gospel. And because we need to be gripped by this gospel, it's our goodness, not our inherent goodness, right? Because we don't have any goodness in our own. On our own, we have goodness from Jesus, that as he puts his righteousness in us and he transforms our heart to be good like he did in Philemon's life, that goodness can overflow into forgiveness, not because Onesimus earns it, but because it's freely given. We are not forgiven by Jesus because we've earned it and Onesimus does not have to earn Philemon's forgiveness. That is crucial to Paul's argument here. Forgiveness, listen, forgiveness can be given freely from us to others out of the goodness of Jesus in us. But man, this is an issue. I get it. Like this, especially when you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart towards someone, I get that this can be a really hard sell because you've been hurt right? You, you've been hurt and being hurt makes you want to hold on to that hurt and not give forgiveness. And so, but I, but I want to just point this out. I think that we have so often seen a disconnect in, in our lives from what we actually believe about Jesus. We are so ready to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers us without any conditions, without any strings attached, without us having to be good to earn it. We love that. 
Of course we do. If we're Christians, we love that. That's our hope. But when it comes to the forgiveness that we must extend to someone else, we lack that same same heart. When it comes to people who have offended us, what do we want from them? We want them to grovel, right? We want them to crawl on their belly through the dirt to kiss our feet. <laughs> like metaphorically probably, right? But we want this. We want them to, to, to just beg and, and earn it and deserve it and prove themselves worthy of it before we would even consider extending forgiveness to them. That's, that's a disconnect between our hearts and the gospel, isn't it? Because is that how Jesus treats us? Is that what, what all this plays out? Is that, how, is that the way of Christ? Of course it's not. We all know it's not. But then when it comes to us and someone else, oh, then the, it's different somehow. Even though we have eternally offended God by our sinful rebellion and deserve an eternal judgment for that rebellion. And he erases that judgment. He removes it from us because Jesus died and rose again for, to take that judgment upon himself. We get that. We applaud that. We worship him for that. We sing songs about that. We sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But then when that wretch in your life comes back, is there any grace for them? We've got to understand the disconnect. and we gotta, We've got to bring our hearts in alignment with the gospel. And I know it's hard. It's hard because we're sinners. I understand that. It's not easy to forgive someone who's offended us. But here's the key. You don't have to have them earn your forgiveness. You can give them your forgiveness, whether they even ask for it or not. And by the way, forgiveness for, from you to someone else, even if that forgiveness isn't sought by them, if you give it to them, you're releasing yourself from the pain of bitterness that is going to eat you alive. We need to forgive because we've been forgiven. Forgiven people forgive people. That's how it works. And that's what Paul is saying to Philemon. He's saying, I I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion. In other words, I don't want you to forgive this guy because I'm forcing you to do it. I want you to forgive Onesimus because your heart is good and gripped by the gospel of your own accord. Okay, we've got two more verses to look at in this this, um, passage and then we'll, we'll turn our attention somewhere else briefly. But let's look at verse 15 and 16. I, I think these are really amazing verses. Paul says, for this for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while in order that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, 
but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. This is an amazing thing, okay? Paul says, he doesn't make a like definitive claim here, but he uses the word perhaps. He says, for this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while in order that you might have him back forever. Paul is saying that this whole offense, the, whole, the sin that Onesimus committed against Philemon by stealing from him, right? We, Thou shalt not steal is one of the Ten Commandments. That's, a, that's against God's law. It's a sin. Philemon uh, was, was sinned against. Onesimus sinned as he left, right? That, that offense... That sin that, Paul, that was committed against Philemon, Paul says, was actually what God used to bring Onesimus to Jesus. This is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Not as a bondservant, he says, but look at, no longer as a bondservant. This is interesting because I don't think, listen, historically, this text has been used as a justification for slavery. And it's, it, that's an evil interpretation of this because what Paul is saying is not, oh, you're going to have Onesimus back and he's going to be enslaved to you again. He literally says, no longer as a bondservant. Paul's expectation is that Philemon will set him free from his obligation because it says he's not a bondservant, he's a beloved brother. I think that's, that's awesome. But what Paul is saying is this, that the wrong that, that Onesimus had done is exactly what led to the events that led to him coming to Christ. Because if he hadn't stolen and run away and met Paul, he wouldn't, maybe he would have at some point in God's sovereignty, but the way that God chose to save him was through this crazy journey of, of rebellion that led him to Paul, that led him to Christ. And guys, that's true for every one of us. We all have crazy journeys through rebellion and sin before we get to Jesus. It just looks a little differently than Onesimus's. But the wrong things he had done is what Jesus used to bring him to, to himself. And now these two men can be restored. Not as servant master, but as brothers in Christ. And, and listen, that's why when we talked last week about this, this little phrase Paul used that says, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace, we said, were kind of shorthand for the gospel. Like the grace is God's uh, goodness coming to us through Jesus. And peace is the result of that grace. This is why the gospel includes peace, because it's about a restored relationship through Jesus to God, but even more than that, it's also about a restored relationship to one another. I think this is just an amazing text, and we're going to stop there for now, but here's the overall point for today, okay? If, you, if you're a note person or whatever, and you want to write down kind of the main idea we said last week that the main idea was to be a welcoming Christian. We have to be gripped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
and his character. Today we're seeing this. If we're going to grow to be a welcoming church, we need to be gripped by the forgiveness that we have in Christ. We need to be gripped by the forgiveness we have in Christ and see that forgiveness overflow out of us to others. Jesus makes this point in Matthew uh, 18. Um, I'm not going to read this whole parable, but I summarize it. Uh, Peter asks Jesus in verse 21, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Well, seven was a lot to Peter, and Jesus said no. Not seven times, but 70 times, seven times, or 77 times, depending on the translation that they choose. But either way, Jesus is upping it, and he's not, he's not literally saying, here's how many times you forgive. He's going so big and so exaggerated to say, you never run out of forgiveness for your brother who sins against you. And then he tells them this story after that question, he tells them a parable about a king who is owed a debt by one of his servants. And this servant had an insurmountable debt. Like, he could have lived a million years and never paid off this debt. It was so enormous, there was no way for him to pay it off. And so the king offers him forgiveness. and just says, I'm going to absorb the debt. And he lets this guy go free. Because he begged and pleaded and asked for forgiveness, the king lets him go. But then the story continues where the servant goes out and meets another servant who owes him one day's worth of money, one day's work. He owed the king a million days, basically, like an insurmountable amount. He could have lived a thousand years and never paid off his debt. And he shows up to some fellow servant who owes him one day's worth of debt and he begins to choke him, begins to beat him up, begins to threaten him with prison if he doesn't pay. And here's what Jesus says in this parable. He's telling a story, right? He's giving us a a word picture. In verse 32 and 33 are crucial to Jesus' point. It says, Then the master, the king, summoned him and said to him, You Wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? As I had mercy on you, that's the key. And Paul actually says this as well in Ephesians and Colossians, which Interestingly, Colossians is written to the same church that Philemon's a part of. And he says, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. We forgive because we've been forgiven. And to not forgive those who offend us when we've been forgiven so much from Jesus, it's wicked. He calls this servant wicked. It's it's, it's evidence. Listen, you can't be saved by good works, but your works do display whether you're saved. Right? It's the cart and horse thing, right? We're putting the, the, the horse has to be in front of the cart on this, but, but our, the fruit of our lives does display something. 
Not that we'll always have perfect fruit on display because we're still sinners, but, but our hearts should be being transformed. And to harbor unforgiveness and a refusal to forgive our brother may actually be evidence that we don't know what forgiveness from God looks like. And we need to see the forgiveness of Jesus overflowing out of us. Guys, there's no question you are in a church with imperfect people. Charles Spurgeon famously said, if, if you were to find a perfect church, the moment you walked in its doors, it would stop being perfect. There is no perfect church. There are only people who are imperfect and following Jesus together. And listen, you're going to be offended here. You're going to be offended by me at some point because I say dumb things. When you talk for a living, you say dumb things. It's just how it works, right? I'm going to say something that hurts your feelings, whether it's in an interpersonal relationship or from here or whatever, and the people sitting around you are going to offend you at some point in time because we're humans, we're sinners, we struggle. So this is an immensely practical thing that if we want to be a welcoming church, we need to be gripped by the forgiveness we are offered in Jesus and we need to ask him to allow that forgiveness that we've received to overflow out of us to others. It's not rocket science, but it's vital that we do this and depending on the Lord Jesus to see it happen. It takes all of us to have this heart and I hope you do. I hope that you've received the forgiveness that Jesus offers you. If you haven't, you, you need to. You should. You must. That's the only way to be saved. And if you need to talk about that with someone, man, I would be glad to talk with you or talk with the person who invited you here today or whatever. But we need to be gripped by his forgiveness. And then that needs to work in our lives in a way that others receive that forgiveness as well. So let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll conclude here. Jesus, um, thank you. Thank you for forgiving us for dying on the cross in our place to take the debt that we owed to you from our sin. And I pray, God, that you would rip our hearts again today with that. Help us, Lord, to love you because we've been forgiven much by you. Help us, Lord, to love each other and to extend our, our grace, your grace, from our lives to theirs. Help us to be forgiving people, Lord. We all, we all need help with this. None of us have this figured out except for you. So we pray for your help. And we ask that you would do a great work among us. In Jesus' name, amen.